Hey, this is Harrison Shaka. I'm the pastor here. You're listening to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We are so glad you took the time to listen to this message. This is from our Easter service. It's a special message. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Can you guys clap your hands? Man, God is good. If you are a guest here, my name is Harrison. Uh, I'm the pastor here at Kingdom Church, and we are so excited that you took the time to be with us uh, this Easter weekend. There's so many places you could be, but you chose to be here with us, and so we're super excited about that. I want to share a passage of scripture that's going to take us where I want to go this morning. It's found in the book of John, chapter 20. It says this, it says, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I will not believe. A few months back, uh, we were discussing what we should do for our Easter program. Uh, For those who are unaware, uh, you should be aware now since you are here, our services are on Saturday mornings. And if you have any familiarity with Easter weekend and the Easter arc, there are generally two days in Easter that are of importance, and that's Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday is the day that we, we, rem- we reminisce and we, we celebrate the, the, the death of Jesus. Uh, but on Sundays, we really celebrate, we really party, because on Sundays when Jesus rose again. Somebody say Amen. And so for us as a church, we were discussing what we should do for our Easter program uh, because we're obviously here on Saturday. And when it comes to the Easter arc, Saturday is sort of the forgotten day. It's sort of the day that no one really talks about. In fact, in the Bible, when, when, when Jesus is taken down from the cross, the Bible tells us that uh, to keep with the, the Jewish understanding of the Sabbath, they had to wrap him in his cloth before the sundown. And then we actually don't hear anything until Sunday morning. Saturday is sort of that forgotten day, and we were thinking about our service. Well, what do we do for our service? Because we're on Saturday. Should we rent a building? Should we figure something out? What should we do? Should we have an Easter Sunday program? And obviously, judging by the fact that you guys are here, you can kind of deduce what we decided to do. Uh, We just decided to, to keep our service at a regular time. But as I studied this message and I was preparing this this talk for us, I began to to see something about Saturday and it it kind of all came full circle for me. You see, when it comes to Easter weekend, I think a lot of us, we love the idea of Resurrection Sunday, right? We love the idea of Jesus triumphant, Jesus raising from the grave, Jesus defeating sin and death. And somebody say, amen, That's, that's good. But as I was reflecting on this message, I realized, and I was trying to think, what was that Saturday like? What must have that Saturday been like before Sunday? And as I said, the Bible doesn't give us any details, but I don't think it takes a whole lot to kind of figure out what that day looked like. For the disciples, for the followers of Jesus, it was the darkest day this world has ever seen. It was the day for a moment it seemed that death had won, that sin had won, and it was, it was darkness. And so as I imagine the disciples, I imagine their disappointment, and more than even their disappointment, their doubt. Was this Jesus who we thought he was? Was he who he said he was? Was this all a waste of time? Did we just waste our time? And as I reflected on the story, I began to realize, as much as a lot of us, we love the idea of Easter Sunday, I think if we were being honest, for a lot of us, our lives look more like that Saturday than that Sunday. 
I think there are people here this morning, your life looks a whole more like Saturday than it does Sunday. And what I mean by that is for some people in this room, our lives are filled with disappointment, much like that Saturday. For a lot of us in this room, our, our lives are filled with doubt. I think there are people in this room right now, and you're wondering to yourself, even though you are here, is Jesus actually who he said he was? Did, did he actually raise from the dead? Did it actually happen? And I think there are people in this room right now, you are dealing with discouragement. You're dealing with doubt. You're dealing with darkness. Why does my life look this way? Why do my kids not behave the way I want them to behave? Why are my relationships falling apart? Why did I get this diagnosis? Why are things looking so dark? And so for a lot of us, our days look a whole lot more like Saturday than Sunday. And so I think it's by no coincidence that we are here this morning. We are here on Saturday. You see, what happens with doubt and disappointment is doubt and disappointment can quickly turn into unbelief. And unbelief can quickly turn into discouragement and darkness and darkness and darkness. But the beauty of Easter and the beauty of the Easter story is that every time I speak it, every time I preach it, every time I go through it, I'm able to see something new. And that's what I love about it. And, and what I love about the Easter story is there are so many different characters and so many different people in it that actually the story has more than one view. You see, we have this traditional understanding of Easter Friday night, Sunday morning. But that wasn't the story for everyone. And so this morning, what I want to do, I want to look at the story of Easter from a new perspective, because I believe this morning, God wants to bring hope, and he wants to bring healing, and he wants to bring peace to someone in this room that feels like it's over, that feels like you are in darkness, that feels like you are in, in doubt and discouragement. And so I want to share with you guys the title of my message this morning. It's super simple. It's just three words. The title of our talk this morning is, It's Not Over. Turn to the person next to you, tell them, it's not over. That wasn't bad. You guys are going to have to be louder. I, uh, last Easter, so a year ago, uh, I had the privilege, a church invited me out to speak for their Easter weekend program, and I shared a message last Easter, and it was called, It's Not Over. Uh, I have a friend, his name's Josh in the front row, good-looking guy with glasses right there looking at me. Hey, Josh. And uh, he asked me last week, he said, how do you come up with your messages? And I told him, I said, you know what, it's always kind of different. Uh, but I was telling him this message for Easter came to me at a very spiritual place. Uh, I was on the Stairmaster at the gym. Uh, anyone listen to Christian music at the gym? Start. And so he asked me, how, how do I get my message? I said, it's always different. But for this specific message, for this Easter message, I was on the Stairmaster at the gym, listening to my Christian music, worshiping, but pretending I'm just stretching. And <laughs> I'm on the Stairmaster, and I felt the Lord drop into my spirit this phrase, it's not over. It's not over. And at first I objected because I said, God, you know what? I actually preached that exact same message last year. And although none of you guys would have been there, it matters to me. And so I kind of objected, and I said, God, I don't want to do the same thing twice. And the Lord kind of spoke back to me, and he said, don't you know I can take the same phrase and make it brand new? And he said, don't you know that I, I, I took a cross that was an instrument of death, and I turned it into something that's going to be life for everyone? Come on, somebody. So he said, don't you think I can take a phrase and make it brand new? You see, the beauty of the Easter program, and for those who were not here last year with us, which is all of you, this church did not exist last year. Someone say, God is good, because look at us now. 
I spoke about Peter last year, and for those who know Peter in the Easter arc, uh, there's a time when Peter says to Jesus, I will not deny you. No matter what happens, I will be good. I'll be solid. I'll be faithful. But that very night, Peter denies Jesus three times. And then Jesus is killed and he's crucified. And, and I thought, man, what a dark moment for Peter. But the beauty of Sunday is that when Sunday morning comes and Jesus resurrects, one of the first things he says, he says, hey, he says, go tell Peter. He says, go tell Peter it's not over. And it was a beautiful message, but that's not where we're going this year. Because like I said, for the Easter story, there are so many different perspectives. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to look at the Easter story, this traditional story, but I want to look at it through the eyes of Thomas. Because what I have realized is the same story told through the eyes of someone else actually becomes a brand new story. You see, for so many of us, Easter weekend is this Friday, it's this darkness Saturday, and it's this resurrection, it's this joy, it's this beauty on Sunday. But as I realize, and as I look through the story, I realize that Sunday brought light, and it brought joy, and it brought hope for some, but not for everyone. I wonder if there's someone in this morning, and figuratively speaking, you're in that dark place and you've been waiting for that Sunday morning resurrection light. You've been waiting for some good news, but you got there and all you found was disappointment. I wonder if there's someone in this room that, that, that feels that way. And the reason that I love looking at this story from the perspective of someone else is that we get to see things from a brand new light. And so what I want to do is I want to look at the, a character by the name of Thomas. Thomas is one of the 12 disciples, and, and Thomas is a disciple that you may better, known, better know him as Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. And uh, what we know about Thomas is that Thomas actually only shows up in the Gospel of John. If you're new to the Bible, there are four books in the New Testament, and they're known as the Gospels. And what these books do is they just describe and explain the life of Jesus. And so the fourth gospel, the gospel written by a man named John, is the only gospel we ever hear from Thomas. And like I said, most people, if they know Thomas, they say, okay, Thomas, uh, that's doubting Thomas. And for a long time, when I looked at Thomas's life, I thought that really wasn't fair. How could someone do something one time and be referred to as doubting for the rest of his life? You guys ever done something once? And then it's like, that's your name forever. I was like, that's, that's really not fair. But as I, as I began to look at Thomas's story in, in the book of John, I realized that Thomas's event with Jesus at Easter weekend was not a one-time thing. I think that doubt and discouragement is something that Thomas actually dealt with far before the death of Jesus. So what I want to do is I want to go backwards and I want to get a fuller picture of the life of, G, uh, the life of Thomas, I should say. And I want us to understand his life so we can understand his actions. You see, the problem with so many of us, and this is just a, a side point, is we try to understand people's actions without first knowing where they came from. And so I want us to, to see Thomas in a new light so we can understand his, um, his character. So we're going to be in the book of John chapter 11 for right now. And before we read the verse, I'll give you a little background of what's going on. Um, this happens, and Jesus is about uh, to go to a place called Bethany in Judea, and Jesus is about to go resurrect a man named Lazarus. Can you guys all say Lazarus? Lazarus has died. He's been dead for four days. And Jesus says to his disciples, he says, all right, boys, we're about to go to Bethany. We're going to go to Judea. We are going to go and resurrect Lazarus. Now, it sounds cool. It sounds like a good plan. The only problem was the last time that Jesus was in Judea, he had such an uproar, he, he did so many things that the religious leaders wanted to kill him for fear that he would become more popular than they were. 
And so for Jesus and for the disciples, they knew full well if they were to go back to Judea, where Lazarus was, it was a dangerous place. It was a place where death could be following. And so Jesus says, all right, let's go. And now I want us to look at Thomas's response. In John chapter 11, verse 16, he says this. It says, Thomas, also known as Didymus, which means twin, said to the rest of the disciples, let us go that we may die with him. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I read this for the first time, I hinted something. I hinted a little bit of something. And so I decided to read some, some scholars and uh, some commentaries because I didn't want to come up here and give you guys some false information. But tell me if you guys see this. But the thing that I hinted was a little bit of sarcasm. Any of you guys see that? Jesus is like, let's go to, to, to Judea. And, and Thomas is like, let's, also, let's go there also that we may die with him. The reason I know it's sarcasm is because sarcasm is my second language. And it's a sign of great intelligence. And so Jesus is saying, let's go to, to Judea, let's go there. And Thomas is like, yeah, let's go there so we can die like Lazarus. Jesus is saying, I want to go there and resurrect Lazarus. Thomas's first response is, yeah, let's just go there. We're going to be as dead as Lazarus. And what I see in this moment is that underlying Thomas's sarcasm is a little bit of doubt. Jesus has a plan. He has a plan that says, I'm going to go there. I'm going to resurrect Lazarus. And Thomas doesn't understand the plan, and so he begins to doubt. One thing I've realized in our lives, the reason that so many of us deal with doubt and discouragement is because God's plan will often look different than our plan. And so Thomas didn't really understand. Thomas didn't know what he was saying. And so he has this sarcasm and he's doubting. The doubt starts here. He's like, let's just go there. We'll go, but we're going to die. But for as much flack as Thomas gets, Thomas actually does something here that I think we can learn from. Thomas goes. Thomas follows Jesus. In the midst of his doubt, in the midst of, of everything that he's going through, Thomas goes in the midst of his doubt. And he actually, he teaches us a lesson here because what Thomas does, Thomas acts contrary to how he is feeling. And what Thomas does is he goes to Judea, he follows Jesus. And so one thing I want us to understand this morning as we get going, because we're talking about doubt and discouragement. And for a lot of us, when we doubt, when we have discouragement, we think that our discouragement, our doubt, disqualifies us from faith. If I have doubts, if I'm not 100% sure, I can't be a follower of Jesus. But look what happens here. John is, or Thomas is doubting, but he goes anyways. So here's what I want us to understand. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is not the absence of doubt. You see, for a lot of us, when we feel that we have these feelings, like, is God real? Is God who he says he is? If God was real, why is my life like this? Why are my relationships like this? Why is my health like this? For a lot of us, when we have these feelings, we think we cannot have feelings of doubt and still be a believer. But what I love about Thomas right here anyways, is Thomas pushes through his doubt and he goes anyways. He acts contrary to how he was feeling. Because friends, get this, our doubt does not disqualify us from faith. Our doubt does not disqualify us from faith. If faith isn't the absence of doubt, I will say this, faith is pushing through in the presence of doubt. Faith is pushing through in the midst of doubt. Faith is saying, I don't get everything. I don't understand everything, but I'm going to do it anyways. I'm going to follow God anyways. I'm speaking to someone in this room because I know how you've been feeling. And you think that those feelings have disqualified you, but faith is not always feeling. Faith is doing. 
You know, uh, this is our very first Easter service here, uh, and we're so happy you guys could be here. Can you guys just give a round of applause for yourself? We, uh, we started uh, this church seven months ago now. Time is flying. It's crazy. But we're still a baby. We're still in the fetus stage of life, kind of. No one laughed. <laughs> Sometimes you just say things you're like, why did you say that? But we're a brand new church, and when I was reflecting about uh, uh, this church and how we got here, one thing that I know for sure is that I believe that God placed this, this vision on my heart. Um, a number of years back. And the only thing I realized that stopped us from starting this place was me. And the one thing that stopped us was my own doubt. Have you guys ever been in a place where you're 100% sure of something, but then 100% not sure? That's kind of where I was at with this church. I was like, I'm 100% positive that this is what God wants me to do. But for every time I realized I wanted to do it, I had 10 reasons why I couldn't do it. 10 reasons why we would fail. 10 reasons why we wouldn't be enough. And I remember in those times when I was thinking about this church and dreaming about what it would be, I would call my friends and, and I would hope that they would tell me something that like they had a revelation from God and he spoke to them and he told them. And I was just hoping that someone would say something so I could be 100% sure. But as the days, the weeks, months went by, no matter what happened, nothing changed. I would say, God, I'm going to be in my room tonight. Just, you know, just come and speak to me. Manifest yourself. Come in a bursting fire. Whatever it takes, I'm listening but what happened is that despite my pleas, there was never this moment where it was like I had 100% clarity and 0% doubt. I had 100% clarity, but I had doubt. Now, you guys are here this morning, and so you can figure out kind of how the rest of the story goes. But the reason that I'm telling you this story is because I believe that this church, the reason we are here is because of faith. We were able to do something. We were able to push forward in, in something that we could not see, something we just believed in. But what I want to show this picture of faith, because I don't want you guys thinking we're these spiritual giants and we don't fear anything. But this place came in the midst of doubt. It was in the midst of doubt. You see, faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is pushing forward in the midst of doubt. Faith is saying, I'm not going to allow my feelings to stop me from pushing forward. Faith is saying, I'm not going to allow my discouragement, I'm not going to allow my depression to stop me from moving forward. Doubt does not disqualify us from faith. But what happens, I believe, is that when we do not hold, when we do not let our doubts out, when we do not let our discouragement out, when we keep things bottled in, eventually they begin to grow. Have you guys ever kept something in that one day it just sort of explodes? You're like, where did this come from? It's like all of a sudden, like your husband didn't take off the trash three weeks ago, but you didn't let him know, and then three weeks later, you explode on him. It's like, you never do anything. It's not a true story in my life. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you why it's not a true story. Christy and I, in our relationship, we're very open with stuff. Open in the sense of if something ticks one of us off, we'll tell the other person. And the reason we do this is because we don't want anything to grow in us. Because what happens when we, let, when we keep things in, one day they just explode. So Christy, I'll let her know. Like when she uses four knives to make supper, <laughs> or she uses the knife to cut bread and she puts it in the peanut butter, that's not where that knife goes, I'll let her know. <laughs> and I know it's crazy and I know it's stupid, but it ticks me off. <laughs> and so the reason that I tell her that, though, is because I don't want to hold it in and begin to bottle up. Where one <laughs> I don't want to just explode one day. But listen to this. That's what I'm trying to get at. 
You see, for so many of us, when it comes to faith, we have this picture where if I don't believe everything, if I'm dealing with doubt, I have to keep it in. I can't say anything. If I'm feeling discouraged, if I don't understand God's plan in my life, I have to keep it in. I have to let it bottle up. And I think in this moment right here in Thomas's life, what came out of him was a bottled up emotion that he had not shared. And what happens when we keep things in is eventually they come out. So look what happens next. We're fasting, we're fasting forward to the, to the Last Supper. You guys are like, I came here for Easter. We're getting there. It's the Last Supper. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And he's telling them about what is to come, but he's speaking metaphorically because Jesus wasn't always straight up. And he's telling his disciples, he's saying, I'm going to a place where I'm going, you cannot go. Something is about to happen to me. This is what he says in verse 3, Jesus. He says, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am and you know the way to where I'm going. Jesus is foreshadowing. He's saying, I'm going somewhere. Something's happening. You know the way to where I'm going. This is where we hear from Thomas again, second time. He says, no, we don't know, Lord. We have no idea where you're going. In fact, how can we know the way? Jesus is like dropping truth bombs. You know the way. Thomas is like, no, we don't actually. Could, could you tell me, please? <laughs> and so Thomas right here, and what I'm trying to show, I don't, I don't know if you guys can hear it, but I can see the frustration in his voice. Do you guys sense that? It's this frustration. It's this built-up doubt. It's this thing bottling up inside of him where he has had all of these times with Jesus. He's following Jesus. He's walking next to Jesus, but he was still filled with doubts. And I think because he never let them out, because he never expressed them, because he never said what he is going through, one day, they just exploded. Jesus is speaking. Thomas is like, I don't know what you're talking about. I have no idea what you're talking about. Friends, here's the thing I want you to understand. At this church, the reason I'm sharing this is because if you have doubts, if you're not even sure about this whole Jesus thing, if you're not even sure about Christianity, I just want to let you know that this is the place for you. This is exactly where we want you to be. I don't care if you believe everything that I believe, but I believe that Jesus will meet us wherever we are. And if you have doubts, if you have discouragements, if you have questions in your life, I encourage you to share them. Because what happens when we bottle them in, they just begin to to fester, to fester, to fester. Doubt turns into disbelief, and disbelief turns into a complete lack of faith, a complete lack of, of belief. I don't believe in God because my life doesn't look the way I thought it would look. Thomas says, we have no idea where you're going. I don't have a clue what you're talking about, Jesus. We fast forward to Friday. We now know it is Good Friday, but 2,000 years ago, it was one of the darkest Fridays this world has ever seen. Jesus is arrested and Jesus is taken and he's treated as a criminal and he is sentenced to death on a cross. Now, what we need to understand about death on a cross, death on a cross was was reserved for the most vile of criminals. It was for people that had done something so, so bad and something so public that the only way that they could be justified in their actions was to be publicly humiliated themselves. Death on a cross was public, so forever, whoever could walk by, they would look down on contempt for the person that was on that cross, and they would know that person is a criminal. This is where we find Jesus, the author of perfection. He's on this cross, and he has died a criminal's death. 
It's the darkest day this world has ever seen. But what happens, his body is taken down, is wrapped, and then we have Saturday. Saturday comes and it's the darkest day of the disciples. They're together and they're wondering to themselves, they're talking to themselves, was this just a waste of time? Was, was Jesus who he says he was? Was he actually the Messiah? Was he actually our king? Was he actually our savior? And it was a time of doubt and discouragement for those who love Jesus, for those who follow Jesus. But for one disciple, it was something entirely different. For one disciple, I believe it wasn't just this discouragement, it wasn't just questions. He had pushed all the way to unbelief. And that was Thomas. How do I know this? Fast forward to Sunday. In verse 19 of John chapter 20, it says, on the, first, on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and he stood among them, and he said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his sides. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. This is our hope. Jesus is alive. It's not, it's not over. It's not over. The disciples have a new kind of faith. But what I want us to see in verse 24 is something is very, very different for one disciple. It says, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Now this tells me something. Because the disciples were together, they had met together in this room, and I can only imagine they're, they're meeting together. What's next? What are we going to do this next? What's our plan? What's our purpose? And I think despite their discouragement, despite all that they were feeling, they still had some kind of hope. But Thomas himself, Thomas is a realist. And maybe you're a realist here this morning. And Thomas is saying, you know what? I don't know what you guys are doing. I don't know why you guys are meeting together. This is it. This is the end. This is over. He's dead. He's dead. He's gone. He's not who he thought he was. He's not who he said he was. He's dead. This is the end. It's over. And so verse 24 says, Thomas was not with the disciples when Jesus came. And so the disciples, they're overjoyed. And in verse 25, it says, the disciples went to him. They said, we have seen the Lord. And he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hands in his side, I will not believe. I can imagine this moment, the disciples are so excited. Thomas, Thomas, you don't, you don't get it. He's alive. We just, we just saw him. And Thomas is like, no. He's like, I've been through it one too many times. I've had my hopes up one too many times. I've been let down one too many times. He says, I will not believe unless. I'm not going to believe unless Jesus comes here right now. Jesus meets me face to face and I can touch the nail marks in his hands and put my hand where the gash was in his side. He says, then I will believe. That's what it's going to take. And so Thomas, he puts out this challenge and he says, Jesus, if you are who you say you are, show me. And I can kind of imagine Thomas in this moment because he's speaking with unbelief. But if you guys ever spoke with unbelief, but there's a little bit of hope in it, where it's like you're challenging, but it's like, I really actually hope this happens. And so Monday comes. It's the next day, Thomas is sitting at his house and he's saying, all right, today's the day Jesus shows up. This is, I'm just gonna sit. 
Monday comes and Monday goes, nothing happens. Nothing changes. And Thomas says to himself, okay, maybe Tuesday's the day. Maybe Tuesday's the day that God shows up. Maybe Tuesday's the day God answers my prayer. Tuesday comes, Tuesday goes, nothing. There's someone in this room right now, you can relate to Thomas. There's a Thomas in this room right now. You've been asking God, God, show up. God, if you're there, let me just see you. God, let me just experience you. Let me just, let me just touch you. If you're real, why don't you just show me? Wednesday comes, nothing. Thursday comes, nothing. Friday comes, it's a week since Jesus has been crucified. Nothing. Nothing happens, nothing changes. Here's the beauty of this story, friends. It's not over. There's still more. There's still more. There's still more. The Bible tells us eight days later, the disciples were together again. Now you need to understand this. Look at me here. Eight days is very, very symbolic. You see, in the Bible, in Jewish understanding, seven is the number of completion. Seven is the number of perfection. And so after seven days as a Jewish person, there's this understanding that something is over, something is finished, it's complete. And so Thomas, as a Jewish man, he's thinking to himself after seven days, okay, now it's over. I was right. God is not who he said he was. He didn't resurrect. There's no glorious Sunday morning. It's just more disappointment. But the Bible tells us, and it's very specific, because eight also symbolizes something. It says eight days later. You guys want to know what eight symbolizes? Eight symbolizes new beginnings. What's the new beginning? It's when you thought something was over, but it actually wasn't. It was just the beginning. And so the Bible says eight days later, while the disciples were together, it says this time, someone shout this time, Thomas was with them. Doubting Thomas was with him. And, and, and I can't help but believe the reason that he was with them is because despite all that had happened, despite what he was feeling, he still had a little bit of hope. It says this time Thomas was with him and the doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you. There's no open door. It's locked. But suddenly Jesus is there. And what I love about Jesus is a locked door will never stop him. A closed heart's not going to stop him. Someone that says it's over for me, that's not going to stop him. Someone who thinks that's, that's not going to stop him. But look at this. Jesus is there for one reason and one reason only. Jesus has not come over to Peter. He doesn't say, what's up, Peter? He doesn't go to Andrew. He doesn't go to John, the disciple that he loves. He doesn't go to any of them. He doesn't look at them. He doesn't even address them. Jesus looks straight at Thomas. And he says to Thomas, he says, put your fingers here. I heard you last week. I heard you eight days ago. Put your fingers here and touch so that you may believe. Touch so that you may believe and be faithless no longer faithless no longer and Thomas look at his response he says my Lord my God says you are who you said you are you're the one you're the Messiah and in all of Scripture and all of the New Testament none of the disciples ever address Jesus in this way but he says my Lord 
my God. There's someone here this morning, you're Thomas this morning. And God, he's here in our midst. He didn't need a door. He didn't need a knock. He's here in our midst and he's coming through your hearts and he's right here this morning. And what he's saying to you this morning is here I am. Put your hand right here, touch. He says, be faithless no longer. It's not, it's not over. And what I love about this story and the reason I wanted to share this story Easter weekend because I think that this story shares the heart of who God is. It's the heart that morning Jesus was not there for those who believed. He wasn't there for those who have seen him. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian and you're feeling like, I don't really know if this message is talking to me, maybe because it's not. Because Jesus is here for one reason. He's here for that which is lost. This is the heart of you. I'm not going to address those who believe. I'm not addressing Christians. I'm here for you, Thomas. The Bible tells us that the picture of Jesus is one who has a hundred sheep, and if he loses one sheep, he will leave the 99 for that one that is lost. That's who he is. There's someone here this morning, you are lost. You are stuck in darkness, and you are stuck in discouragement and doubt, and you've been asking yourself, has my doubt disqualified me? God is here this morning, and he's saying, here I am. It's not over. This is just the beginning. The best is still yet to come. 2,000 years ago, he came through a, a wall. This morning, I think he's standing right into our hearts. I felt God speak to me this week. And God said, tell him this message is for the one. This message is for the one. And so I'm speaking to the one right now. You know who you are. This message is for you. Jesus is saying, I'm here for you. I'm here for the one. I'm here for the one that is lost. I'm here for the one that, that thinks that they cannot believe anymore. This message is for you. It's for the one. Verse 29, Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. But get this. He says, blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believed. Jesus is here in our midst this morning. He's speaking into your heart. You haven't seen him, but you believe him. I know you're believing right now. If you guys could stand, we're going to close. I invite the worship team to join us. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. This is for the one. This is for the one that's been fighting for too long, the one that is saying, I want to believe, but I just can't. This is the morning that you believe. What we want to do is we want to give you the opportunity to give your life to Jesus. To give your life to Jesus, to say the same words as Thomas, my Lord and my God. If you want to give your life to Jesus, if you want to say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. I want you to be Lord and Savior. We want to give you the opportunity to respond. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. All you have to do, I'm going to count to three. Just show me your hand. We're going to pray together as a church and and what you're doing with your hand raised, you're saying, I want you to include me in that prayer. I want to make the best decision I've ever made. On the count of three, I'm just going to count to three. One, two, three. Just show me your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Just keep your hands raised. Thank you. Thank you. Let's just pray this together. Just say, dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for choosing me. God, today, I give my life to you. I give you my wins, and I give you my sins. And I pray, God, you make me a new creation. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's clap our hands. Thank you so much for listening to that message. We hope that was exactly what you needed to hear. If you want more information, head over to kingdomchurch.ca and you will find everything that you need and so much more. If you got time, leave us a message, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram.